You can go ahead and open your Bibles up to Numbers chapter 12. A few weeks ago when I preached before I went out to Europe, uh, how many of you were in the second service that Sunday when the power went out during my first point? Anybody? Yeah, wasn't that fun? I preached with a flashlight the rest of the sermon, but got through it. What's funny is we were talking about how the book of Numbers originally was called, uh, in the Hebrew, it was called the book of wilderness. And I was talking about not complaining when things don't go the way you expect, and then the power went out, which was hilarious. So we're going into the book of Numbers, and we're talking about spiritual leadership. I just wanted to give you a quick recap of where I went and why I went there. Uh, I flew out two, sun- or two Sundays ago, right after church, and flew into Vienna. Here's a picture of me in Vienna at like 2 a.m., uh, and that's Dr. Christian Hofreiter with RZIM, Ravi Zechariah International Ministries. I had a six-hour layover, so I said, hey, Dr. Hofreiter, will you want to you have some coffee, show me the city, and tell me what your evangelistic ministry is doing in the city. So we had a great time of fellowship, saw the city, and then flew into Romania. Here's a picture of me with some of our friends in Romania. That's Pastor Marius in the middle from the city named Briela in eastern Romania. And then that's Yonika. Yonika and Mike Kiowski worked together to lead the training center for church planters in Europe. So we plant churches not only here, but all over the world. And so we had some fellowship, and we, we talked about what's next for church planting in Europe. And this next picture shows, then I went to Kiev, Ukraine. You guys remember Pastor Alex? How many of you were here when he, pre- when he was uh, up on stage? We talked a little bit. He's just a lightning bolt of energy. And he, is, he has a passion for seeing churches planted all over the Russian-speaking world. There's like 16 or 17 countries where Russian is the predominant language. He'd love to get, and there's his beautiful family. He would love to have a training center eventually in Ukraine. And uh, here's another picture of what it looks like walking up to Harvest uh, or Vertical Church, Kiev right there. Uh, they, obviously, their language is Russian. And so a big language barrier there. And I learned a ton about what God is doing in the world and what our next steps are as a church. So that's where I was, and um, we'll have more updates in the days ahead with Mike Kiowski and his role and what's happening. But we plant churches. We believe that church planting is the original way that the Great Commission was fulfilled, and so we love to raise people up, send them out, and uh, plant new life-giving churches all around the world. That's why we're doing this with Pastor Jeremy as well. Well, here we are in Numbers chapter 12, and Moses is having a bad year. Maybe 40 years, but Moses' life is actually pretty hard. But he's going through a rough time, and it's because of his leaders. His leaders are giving him grief, and because of this, we are learning about leadership through Moses' life. And in Numbers chapter 12, if you were here last week, Pastor Jeremy preached on the spies sent into Canaan. Uh, We jumped ahead a little bit with that sermon, so this story comes right before that. So we're going one episode before that. But what you see is... The power of leaders to really get in the way of God's plan and to hurt what he's doing. Uh, this, this little segment in Moses' life started a few weeks ago, so this is spiritual leadership part three. And let's pray, and then we'll see what God has for us in his word today. Father, teach us about spiritual leadership. I pray that you would show us what it means to understand authority, to understand how you speak, how you lead, how you work. And show us as a church how we can be strong and godly and united in this area. We pray that you would reveal, Lord, your love uh, through your plan as Israel is entering the promised land, or at least should be. We pray that you would show us how this ties into our lives today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. In Numbers chapter 12, it says this. Miriam and Aaron, that's Moses' big sister and big brother. 
Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. Let's observe first what's happening here. What's happening here is Moses has another problem on his hands. A few weeks ago, one of the themes I said we were going to camp on is this. You can write this down, number one in your notes. Leaders must deal with problems in a godly manner. They must. There will be problems, different types of problems. Leaders have to be ready for them. And leaders have to deal with them in a godly manner. Moses has another problem. Uh, He's had problems with the people complaining and rising up. He's had problems with the spies who came back and failed to do their job. He's having problems now with his family. The year is 1400-ish B.C. The Israelites are in the middle of nowhere. They have a hard time finding food and water. Where are we in the story of the Bible? There is no nation of Israel. Samson hasn't lived yet. There's been no David and Goliath. There's no prophets. There's no Bible. Okay, so God's getting the whole story written right here. And he's starting by getting the people into the land. And all of these problems keep coming up, trying to divide the people and to get them to go back to Egypt. Now you might be wondering, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, let me tell you. They don't go to the land, there's no nation of Israel. There's no nation of Israel, there's no Jesus, there's no Bethlehem, no more Christmas for you, all right? There's no more Calvary, there's no more salvation. God's whole plan is moving forward one step at a time, and if they blow it here, you're not going to heaven. So God has to keep them on track. God has to get them obeying him. That's why the stakes are so high. They couldn't be higher. And families struggle, let's just, let's just face reality here. There's no drama like family drama, am I right? How many of you have had family drama in your family in the past? Yeah, if you didn't put your hand up, you're probably like trembling with trauma at the memory of the family drama. You can't even move anymore because of it. Family drama's the worst. And, and listen to the family setup here. Aaron, his big bro, is three years older. How many of you have a big brother. Raise your hand if you have a big brother. All right, big brother. And then a big sister who might be nine, ten years old, right? When Moses was cast in the water in the basket, she was old enough to be on her own and to talk to the princess and to run back and tell mom. So it's not, she's probably not four. So who knows? She could be, so Miriam is probably in her nineties now. Aaron is like 84. Moses is like 81. All right. And let's face it, Folks who are that age aren't known for their grace and patience with each other. Right? You've been around family for 80 plus years. You know the buttons to push. Am I right? You know, you know the buttons by age three. And here they are later in life. And now they're not getting along. The thing is, it's not just a family problem. This is a national power struggle because Moses is the founder. He's built the nation. He's in charge. Aaron is the high priest. He's in charge of the priesthood and the tabernacle. Miriam is like one of the, is like in charge of the prophetesses. She's like, all the women look up to her. She was the one who led them out in singing and dancing after the Red Sea. So this is not just a family problem. This is a national uh, power struggle that could divide up the whole country. And let's just 
face that jealousy is a real problem in any family. What would it be like if your little brother was in charge of your country? I, I should have heard a groan there. Oh, never. Little brother is in charge of the country. And he just gets to go and talk to God whenever he wants. And his face glows. And he was raised in a palace all pampered. And we weren't. He had the best food. We were in slavery. He parted the sea. He gets to write the first five books of the Bible. And now he's steering the country toward a land of giants. Someone's got to stop him. I mean, you can imagine the emotions that they're feeling. But there's more at stake than just Moses' family. This is the whole nation of God's people. We observe here one common problem with leadership. Jot this down. It's called conspiring, refusing to submit to authority or accountability. They were questioning Moses' authority, even though God had made it so clear Moses was the man in charge. They were questioning it. Well, is he the only one God has spoken through? Maybe we should get a few more opinions on where we're going. At, all right. Even though they have tremendous power and influence, they don't have enough. They don't like that Moses is perhaps installing 70 new elders and, and, and challenging their power. Who knows? Who knows what it was? But they didn't like that Moses thought he could just make these decisions. So they were conspiring. The target of their conspiring was Moses' wife. <clears throat> it says he had married a Cushite woman. But this is just a smokescreen. They're using Moses' wife to get at the real source of the problem, which is they don't like that he is making the decisions. What's the problem with Moses' wife? We don't exactly know. Here's some possible explanations. Possible explanation is that the Cushite they're talking about is Zipporah. It is Moses' wife. And maybe she has a different shade of skin because she was from Midian. Uh, maybe she was part Cushite. We're not sure. Maybe they're just using that. Uh, Cushite was kind of from Sudan, so it would have been like a black-skinned African person who was traveling with the caravan of Israelites. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe this is Moses' wife, and it's her skin color that they're now using as like a lightning rod to try and get other people to turn on Moses. This is a possibility because Moses' wife Zipporah just recently showed up in the narrative, and now she's back. And you can imagine with Moses' big sister now has another woman who's messing with the family, right? So after all these grievances, I can just hear, you know, Miriam be like, and his wife, who does she? Like, you could just hear it. Am I right? You can just hear it. Now, maybe it's, maybe it's Zipporah. Maybe Moses took a second wife. There's not much evidence that he had two wives at once, because we don't see here that the problem listed is the number of wives he had. It's the skin color of the wife that he has. So it's a possibility, but it's unlikely. Uh, there, there's also a possibility that Zephora died or deserted him, and, and, so now, and so now he remarried a second wife, but he didn't have two wives at once. We're really not told. We're just told that this is a racial complaint. It's simply the skin color of his wife, and God in no way validates that their complaint actually holds water. He doesn't in any way say, well, I know he shouldn't have taken two wives. God calls Moses faithful, and God holds uh, Aaron and Miriam accountable for this. So we think that uh, whatever it is, Moses' wife is actually not the moral problem. The racial complaint shows the black heart of racism here. Racism basically is when one person believes that they have been born better born better than any group of other people, and this is a lie, and it's a sin from the pit of hell, all right? You want to know God's heart on racism? You are about to find out. 
But if you in any way think that you're, you have been born better than any group of people, just understand that that has come to you from the father of lies. That is not true. There's also some nationalism here. She's from a different country. This is not the same as racism. Nationalism doesn't mean born better. It means borders better. Border, our borders, whatever's in here, is better than whatever's in your borders. And that is a sin too. But racism here is just an excuse to complain about the real problem. Moses is making decisions we disagree with, and we need to stop him. So number one, leaders must deal with problems in a godly manner. What we see here in the first point is just a picture of what the problem is and where it's coming from. Now, number two, here's the lesson that we learned. We must respect spiritual authority. Jot that down. We must respect spiritual authority. This is one of the big takeaways here and what we are supposed to learn. Reading on in verse 3, it says, The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. The tent of meeting was outside the camp. Uh, part of this was a judgment because the people rebelled. God's presence was, was no longer uh, burning on Sinai for a while. It was outside the camp, and that was to show them that their sin is putting distance between them and God. So now the fact that God is calling them away from where Aaron's supposed to be leading, the tabernacle, the priesthood, shows that they are in trouble. Okay, they are being led outside the camp, outside of God's people, and they are in big trouble. It says here, they both came forward. And he said, God said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. He beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Arian turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. The takeaway here is God establishes spiritual authority, and he expects everyone to respect it. We have to understand how authority in general works. Here's a picture, a chart of how authority in general works. God has given um, parents authority in the home. He wants the, the father to be the spiritual head of his household, leading his family well. He wants mom and dad to take charge, being the leaders in the home, not being run by the children, but looking after their children, providing for them, protecting them. So <clears throat> you were all born into an authority under your household. But then sometimes that fails. So the church is a next uh, ring of authority, and someone could appeal to the church and say, my husband needs help, this isn't going well. Um, or the church could say, you know, this is obviously something sinful that needs to be taken care of. And so the church, uh, whether, whether you know it or not or like it or not, when you come to a church, the Lord has given the leaders of that church spiritual authority over you to look after you. Now, the government is actually larger than that because if a church sins or fails, the government can come in and say that, you know, the church has been mishandling money and stealing from this or that. So the government is a big one. And then God. God has authority over all, and Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, there's no such thing in the smaller circles, the circles that don't say God, there's no such thing as perfect authority. You will always face the choice of whether or not you will submit to imperfect authority. And this is God's will for your protection and for your provision, to submit to spiritual authority in the home, in the church, 
and in the world. We must understand and respect spiritual authority. Jot this down because God appoints leaders. God appoints leaders. And we have to understand that God appoints leaders in the government. God appoints leaders in the church. Uh, And so what that means is that we have to see them as bearing authority that has been delegated to them from God. And uh, we understand that there's no such thing as perfect authority, but God's the one who will hold them accountable for what they do with the authority. Uh, God wants us to see that he's the one who thought up authority and leadership, and he wants us to submit to it. There's all sorts of verses in the New Testament that talk, especially in Romans, about how God made all government and God has established every authority. And therefore, we should fear um, refusing him and his will by refusing to submit to authority and leadership. So the authority comes from God. And uh, next, because God speaks and works through leaders. It says here, if you read in verse 6, he said, Hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. So here's God revealing his will to a special prophet, right? I speak with him in a dream. So in the instance of prophets here, who, who obviously made up a large portion of the Old Testament, this is God giving an authoritative message to a prophet, and the prophet speaks to the people, but it bears the authority of heaven. Super important that we understand this. God speaks through leaders, through prophets, through priests. This is how he talks to us. But he says, not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in my house, in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. He beholds the form of the Lord. You see that Moses got a special revelation of the Lord and was sent down with a message from heaven that was binding on everyone who heard it. This is how authority works. God is speaking and working through this man. Then he said, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he departed. How does God feel when I refuse to let anyone be in authority over me? When I will not be held accountable by anybody. No one will tell me what to do. Not my parents, not my pastors, not my government. No, that angers the Lord. Because you're not just at war with the authority in your life. You're at war with God. God speaks and works through leaders. You have to know that this is how God talks to you. Uh, often, too often, people talk like they just have a, you know, walkie-talkie with God. Well, God showed me this. God said this. God told me this. Uh, really? Where do you buy these things? Are they on Amazon? Like, you, you don't have a direct line to God. He has used mediators throughout the centuries to tell you what he thinks. And, and if you're not listening to this to hear God's voice, you're just listening to your own imagination. Okay? I was just explaining to my girls when they were much younger during devotion time, about uh, the prophet Elijah, right? And I was like, look, Elijah went to the king and said this, and, and God told Elijah to tell the king something, and that's called prophecy. And my little girls went, no, that's called telephone. <laughs> and I was like, what? And they're like, watch, here's how it works. And then they whispered in each other's ear, and then they went telephone, you know, where you tell someone something, and then they tell someone else something, which was super adorable. This is how God talks to you, though. Somebody way down the line heard it, and it got passed along to you. And if you have a big problem with authority, you will not submit yourself to this book. You don't like the thought of other people speaking to you from God and telling you what to believe. This is the nature of authority, though. And it began with Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So the people didn't know that yet, but God was giving us the Bible. And so Miriam and Aaron, the fact that they would refuse to hear Moses as an authority means they were rejecting 
the word of God. God speaks and works through leaders. Uh, God used leaders, authority, government in our life this week, 3 a.m. The doorbell rang. We were like, who would come and talk to us at 3 a.m.? So we opened the door and it was a uh, Alsip police officer. It's very sorry, sir, he said, but your vehicles have been broken into along with like 19 other cars on the block. Need you to come out and see if if anything substantial is missing or if one of your cars is missing. And I was like dreaming. So I was like, what? So I walked out there in my jammies with bedhead and, and had to like look through my cars because the doors were open and they, you know, wrestled through everything and left everything out. Um, and, but this is a police officer doing his job, patrolling the neighborhood, right? And, and so then I was able to say, no, officer, thankfully, we didn't have anything in the cars. They didn't take anything. And, and what's crazy is the next day when we went out there, Oh, we looked, and, and the thieves, not only did they not take anything, but they must have been, like, running with laundry detergent they found in somebody's car. And then they just left it on our front lawn. Here's a picture. They, the thieves just left us, like, laundry detergent and fabric softener. That's a win for us. I, I don't know if they're, like, these criminals where it's like, sorry, I robbed you. Here's a little something for your troubles. I, don't, I, I suspect that this guy was either young, and so his mom told him, like, you know, get me some laundry detergent while you're out. Or maybe it's a husband who forgot to do shopping. I don't even know. But I can't imagine a teenager being like, oh, clean clothes, yeah. Anyway. The point is this. God uses authority to protect us, to care for us. He does it in the church, in the home, and in the world. This is God's way. This is God's way to look after you. So when your small group leader asks you how you're doing, hey, it's time to get off the Lone Ranger plan for your faith. Oh, me and God are good. Come on, be honest. Tell someone your true spiritual condition. Invite accountability. Invite other people to see what you're truly struggling with. Ask them for help. If you blow it, tell the truth and say, I need help. And you'll see the power of community. God's plan for you is not for you to walk this alone. So we're learning about authority here. God's appointing leaders to protect the people and lead them. God is speaking and working through the leaders. He does it in the home. He does it in the church. He does it in the world. And jot this down. God will punish those who divide his people. God will punish those who divide his people. God's God's not like okay when his people throw off the leaders. He's not okay with that. And look what he does to Miriam, my goodness. He strikes her with leprosy. Instantly. God has to put this rebellion out right away. He says, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The Bible tells us in many places that the rulers do not bear the sword in vain. So why are you not afraid when you're driving 102 miles an hour down the Dan Ryan? Like, like you're going to get it, okay? And, and the Bible tells us God will not protect us from the foolish consequences of our actions when it comes to the law. So you're stealing, you're breaking the law, you think you're getting away with it, and then you get caught and you go to jail. You're like, why did God let this happen? No, you were a bonehead, all right? You broke the law. And God warned you that he put the authority over you. So we have to understand that when we suffer because we didn't submit to authority, God warned us. And he gives us quite a warning here. Miriam's lucky to be alive. She gets this 
I, I found a picture of, a, of a, a disease that they think this was. It's called erythrodermic psoriasis. I'm not going to say it again, okay, because that is... But here's a picture of somebody whose hands have this, and they, they don't think it was actual leprosy because there wasn't uh, actually recorded cases of that until later in, in history. But it's this white, flaky... Imagine your skin just turns white and flaky and itchy and inflamed head to toe instantly... And there you go. They think Job had a form of this, where it actually gets so bad it gets into your joints and inflames everything. And God gave it to her. God gave it to her. This 90-year-old lady who's done a whole lot of good in her life, and God's like, bam, now you've got this. The cloud lifted, and her skin head to toe was filled with that. Wow. Wow, that's how God feels? When I speak against the one who he is using, when I... Rise up against his word. That's how God feels. God doesn't always use disease as a punishment. If you're sick, if you're going to the doctor, don't be like, did I do something wrong? To get... Almost always disease and sickness is just a natural result of life and your biology and what you've eaten, and it's not like you're being punished for anything. In fact, unless you have proof that you're being punished with a disease, don't assume that. Satan can use your suffering to warp your thinking about God. But in this case, it's clear as day. The punishment here also fits the crime. Because what was it that Miriam was griping about with Moses' wife? Her what? Her what? Her skin. You got a problem with her skin, huh? You got a problem with the color of her skin, huh? Take that. And what a slap against every racial lie in our heart. You've got a problem with skin, do you? God feels so angry when we allow these feelings to sit in our heart. God sent a strong, immediate message to the leaders and the people. If you conspire and reject the authority established, if you allow racism to flare up and divide my people, I'm furious and I will bring great pain into your life. What a warning. Aaron should have known better. Aaron really should have known better by now. You remember Aaron? The golden calf? Remember that? He builds a golden calf while Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments. And then Moses comes down and he's like, what did you do? I just threw the gold in the fire. And then this calf jumped out. All right. This is, this is an 80-year-old man lying to his little brother. Aaron has a pattern of people rising up and giving him an opportunity to actually lead and Aaron failing to lead. And this is another one of him failing to lead. Two of Aaron's sons went in front of the Lord. This is the priestly family. And they didn't follow the rules. We don't know exactly what they did, but they offered an unauthorized fire to the Lord and God burned them to death. God burned two of Aaron's children to death in front of the altar because they didn't follow the rules. Did he not make it clear to them? Maybe? Did Aaron, was Aaron getting a little... I don't even know. But Aaron has this really bad track record of, I could be a leader here. No, I don't think I will. And people get killed. This is a really bad habit. This takes us back to when Moses called, or when God called Moses into ministry, right? And what did, what did Moses say? Send someone. And who did God send? You need a buddy, do you? All right. Here's Aaron. And this isn't working out so well. Moses' lack of faith kind of led to this. But thankfully, there's also hope. 
There's also hope. Aaron is lucky to be alive. So is Moses. So number one, leaders must deal with problems in a godly manner. Number two, we must respect spiritual authority because God appoints leaders. He speaks and works through leaders. And God will punish those who divide his people. Number three, let the Lord deal with your enemies. So now we learn from Moses. What do we learn from Moses? Let the Lord deal with your enemies. It says in verse 3, Now the man Moses was very meek more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. The word meekness means strength in check. Strength in check. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you just let people push you around. That's actually kind of Aaron. Moses was strong. And, And men, hear me on this. The way our world is defining true masculinity is is like a disgrace to how God designed us to be today. God designed you, man of God, to be strong in your home, in your marriage, at work, for your church. He wants you to be strong, but he wants that strength to be held in check by his law and his love. You can't be meek unless you're strong. Because meekness is strength in check. If you're just a couch potato, it's, oh, he's, he's so Christ-like. He wouldn't hurt a fly. Yeah, he can't get off the couch. You know, like that's not what it means to be meek. Meekness means you are strong, but that strength is harnessed by the Lord. It's like a war horse who fears nothing, will, will go out into battle, but has a, a saddle and will be held by the warrior and told where to go. That's what it means to be meek. Moses was the meekest man, it says here, of them all. You see, he holds his tongue. He's letting the Lord deal with his enemies. And we learn a lot here about leadership. How should I respond when people speak out against me? How should I respond when people murmur and discredit me and undermine me, divide people who care for me? How should I respond? How do I respond when people are causing friends to get cold toward me or family members to not talk to me? How should leaders respond when people speak against their character and refuse to honor their authority? We learn so much here. We must be patient. We must be loving. We must be humble. The Bible says, do not avenge yourselves. Let the Lord do it. Let the Lord take up your case, and he will prove just. Let the Lord deal with your enemies. Jot this down. Here's what this means. Don't repay evil for evil. Moses did not strike back. Don't repay evil for evil. The time is coming when Moses blows his top, right? He is going to strike the rock. He's going to lose it. Not yet. He's holding his tongue. We have to make sure we don't slander or backstab or badmouth or... Right? We can't do that. Now, this is totally opposite from what the world tells you to do. I was watching... uh, ESPN, I think this week or the week before, and well, there's big controversy because, like, first pitch of the game, a pitcher beamed a really hot batter, right? And everybody's like, oh, the other team's going to get them back. And there was some former pitcher expert on there, you know, they might not do it this game, but they're going to hit him back. You just can't let that go. You got to hit one of their players now. That's retaliation. And that's the way the world works. In hockey, man. You, if you check one of the key players of another team into the boards and he goes out and loses some time, keep your head up, right? That's what they say. Oh, maybe not this game, but the next game, the gloves are coming off because you will get paid back. This is the way the world works. Retaliation. But this is not how God's children overcome evil. 
we must not repay evil for evil. Do you know that if you don't love your enemies, you, you will become your enemies. They will teach you how to talk. They will teach you how to feel. They will te- they, you will become them. And they win. Do not repay evil for evil. Can we defend ourselves? Yes, absolutely. That's a different topic for a different day. Right? I mean, someone's swinging at you, you can defend yourself. That's not what we're talking about here. But do not repay evil for evil. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but sometimes the leaders go bad. Who's going to hold them accountable? True. Write this down. Hold leaders accountable to God's standards. God is actually doing this. All right? Because Moses was the founder and like the king figure, right? Aaron was the high priest. So this wasn't just people refusing to submit to leadership. This was also, at the same time, it was a leader abusing his power. And and Aaron and Miriam were leaders who were abusing their power. So we see God's strong, immediate reaction to that shows us that God will hold leaders accountable for how they're using their authority. And we must hold leaders accountable to God's standards as well. We see this in the Bible. Whenever a king reached over and tried to control the temple, very bad things happened. And there were even brave men who had to sometimes confront the king and say, hey, get out of here. This is not your place. Whenever a prophet became corrupted by the king and started uttering nonsense because he was getting paid off, God brought judgment. So we have to hold leaders accountable. There were times when priests got so self-indulgent, they were robbing God's people and eating all the food and acting with sexual sin, and God judged them. So yes, we have to hold leaders accountable to God's standards. It is true that some leaders are disqualified and they must be removed from leadership because God does expect righteousness for leaders. God's people are not expected to tolerate abuse or neglect to a disqualifying level. It's important that we understand that. And my goodness, over the last several weeks, if you've been reading the headlines of what's going on in the church in the United States, how leaders have been abusing their spiritual authority and hurting the people under their care. There was a bombshell report in the Catholic denomination last week. Do you see the headline? Here's the headline of the scandal. Just in Pennsylvania, one state, they did a massive investigation with the grand jury and found 300 priests had abused over 1,000 children over the course of many decades. And they said the thousand is not all of them. They said these are just the cases that we could actually substantiate, but there are thousands more cases that we didn't have enough actual evidence to say for sure, but probably. These are those in spiritual authority under the name of the church abusing children. This is horrific. And this is the first state and Guess what's coming? There's going to be investigations in other states. This is right. The government is to hold leaders accountable to the standards. And it's not just the Catholic Church. In our own state, at Willow Creek Community Church, I don't know if you heard about this, but there's, we have a picture of this, but up, up to 10 women have now accused that pastor of uh, inappropriate behavior, and there was some internal investigation that wasn't done properly according to many and so pressure 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 get it right through the investigation hold your leader accountable and finally both pastors and the entire elder board resigned last week they said we have failed our people we did not hold our leader 
accountable. So I want to reassure you that when I say, let the Lord deal with your enemies, when I say we must respect spiritual authority, that never means accept abuse and allow leaders to become corrupt. That never means that. We must hold leaders accountable to God's standards, just as God does it here. You three, right now. It says in verse 10, When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Bingo. Bingo. Aaron admits it. He begs for mercy. And he's asking Moses. We've, we've sinned. We've acted foolishly. Forgive us. He knows now. He knows exactly how God feels. He understands that Miriam's a dead woman. How she, she's going to rot away. Agonizing death. He doesn't want this for her. And, and, and the, whis- the whispering, the whispering in secret, the whispering was heard by God whispering was heard by God and now it's all in the open and Aaron begs for mercy begs for mercy what would Moses do Moses had a choice to make Moses cried to the Lord oh God please heal her please Moses doesn't want to see her suffer let's be honest there's times when you like to see your siblings get it am I right But this is serious. Moses is like, I don't want this for her, Lord. I don't want this for her. Moses cried out, Oh, Lord, please heal her, please. God got Moses ready for this moment. Remember? How did God God get Moses ready for this moment? Was there a time in Moses' past where he had some leprosy thing happen? What happened? What happened? Remember? God gave Moses leprosy. Remember that? Put your your hand in your cloak. Take it out. (gasps) Put it back in. Take it out. It's healed. The Bible never says that Moses did that for Pharaoh, right? We don't. We never hear that. So why did he do this whole leprosy thing? Well, God was getting Moses ready for this moment. Moses had faith to believe that God could and would heal her. And he cried out to the Lord, heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? This means that common back then, if there was some great insult to the family, the father could even spit in the face of one of his children, and then away that child goes for seven days. All right, like, like you are about to be put out of the family. Okay, customs change. It's just the way they did it back then. It's not prescribed in the Bible, but God is describing what they did. God's basically saying, if her father had done this, she'd be put out of the camp for seven years. I just disciplined her. Out she goes for seven days. Seven days, out she goes. Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought back in again. So the idea is she was healed, otherwise she couldn't come back in. So God answered the prayer, healed her, but away she went for seven days. In shame, national humiliation and disgrace, all alone. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought back in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran, Jot this down. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Moses shows us this. He loved his sister. He loved his sister. He prayed for her father. Heal her. Is that your heart toward your enemies? Is that your heart toward 
the family members who are making your life hard? Have you prayed for them? If you don't love your enemies, you will become your enemies. Moses had to remember that his big sister saved his life so many years ago, didn't she? Didn't she? He had to remember that. And now he gets the chance to return the favor, save her life. God rewards those who humbly follow spiritual leadership. He disciplines those who conspire to depart from God and divide his people. Listen, when we gladly submit to leadership, when we love our enemies, God rewards us. So here's a question to close out. Who is God prompting you to love better? Is there a leader in your life, someone who has authority, someone who you just have a hard time respecting? Right? And God is calling you to submit to that. God is calling you no more nonsense, no more whispering, no more divisive stuff, no more conspiring. You will submit to your parent. You will submit to your boss. You need to put yourself under whatever the government has asked you to do. Are you struggling with that in your heart? Maybe God wants to break that spirit of rebellion. Maybe there's a leader in your life who has failed. And it's time to learn to love them. Maybe it's time to learn to love somebody who has not properly used the authority that God gave them. To pray for them. Not to repay evil for evil. Not to become like them. But to bring it to the Lord just like Moses did. And say, Lord, take up my case. And then to wait patiently for God to act. Let the Lord deal with your enemies. He won't disappoint you. I don't know what God is laying on your heart. But as we close here, I want to just give you a few moments of silence. So that you can talk to God. And ask him to help you love someone better. Someone you're struggling to love in your life right now. Let's just go to the Lord right now and have a moment of silence where you can talk to God. And ask him for help to love someone in your life better. Go ahead and pray right now. Lord, I know that in our hearts there are people who are difficult to love. Maybe there are people who we just struggle to follow. Maybe there are people who we just struggle to respect and help us, Lord. Help us to submit to imperfect leaders. Help us to put ourselves under the authority of our parents, our government, those at work. Help us to have submissive hearts. And Lord, if there have been lines crossed. If there is a grievance or abuse or neglect, help us to be righteous, patient, and upright in how we go about fixing that. Lord, I pray for the leaders in this room, for those who have authority in their homes, in this church, in the world. I pray, Lord, that you would test us and try us, examine our hearts, and help us to be leaders who, who fear you and who love your word and who take care of the people who are put under us. We pray that you would help us to look up, Lord, knowing that you're watching and that you will hold us accountable for how we treat our 
employees or our children or our small group or Lord, help us to know that you have very strong feelings about how we use the authority that's been delegated to us. We pray that we would be a church filled with leaders who are upright and holy, who fear the Lord, who take care of people well, who are humble. Just as Moses was meek, Lord, give us strength in check. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as we battle the powers of sin in the hearts of followers and leaders alike. Thank you for this great story of mercy where you heard the cry of Moses and you healed Miriam. Lord, where you restore the unity at the highest level of government here in Israel. Lord, we thank you for stories like that, for success stories of restored leadership. We pray that we would see so many of those in the church and in the world. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Empty us of the lies of the enemy. We pray that your blessing would be upon us. In Jesus' name.